back. I'm going to really set the stage here, Brett. This is one of my personal favorite topics and one of our listeners' very favorite topics. These are always our episodes that do the best. I'm going to guess it's related to personal finance. Yeah, everything is. But it is specifically about investing. All right. It's like the other 90% of what we talk about, so. Yeah. Uh, But how to invest, how to get started, and what it all means. So don't worry, Brett. I did not forget your trivia question. What was the average 401k contribution in 2019, because we don't have 2020 data yet, and this poll was done by Vanguard, because they have, like, a lot of companies... 401k plans. Right, and they consolidated everybody's, right, mm-hmm. across the entire industry. Um, you know, sure, I say, because I really spend that much time uh, sure. preparing yeah, we these know. sources yeah, we totally and know. questions. Uh, $10,000. Uh, sorry, percentage of income. Come on! Uh, uh, 7%. Yeah, yes. 7%. Yes! All that time thinking was totally worth it. Uh, and so that was 7% of people's personal paychecks, plus with employer contributions, that number jumped to 11%. Oh, so there uh, are more, more employers giving out more money than I thought. 4%. So that's pretty, pretty good. good. Um, yeah. I've always kind of, the old industry standard used to be like 6% match. Right. Um, but obviously, there are probably, to get to that average, there are obviously people who are contributing more and less. And so maybe the average employer contribution still is 6%, but some people aren't getting it. So I want to start this podcast off with reminding you, as always, that 401k is an investment vehicle. If you have the opportunity to participate in one and you are contributing 0% of your paycheck, I want you right now to go to your computer and change that to 1%. You will not miss that 1%. It is taken out. You can you can do a traditional 401k. It will be taken out pre-tax. And so it'll be even less than 1% of your paycheck goes away. And preferably we ask you to change it to like 12%. Or like well, <laughs> sure. But it's all about baby steps sometimes, Brett. So if you're at zero and you've been at zero for a lot of years, go to 1% now, next year, do another 1%. And then, you know, over time you step up to where you want to be. Right. It's the, the amount of money taken out with 1% is, is so insignificant. You would literally will not notice the change to your bank account. But over time, you will absolutely notice that you have like a ton of money saved up in your retirement all of a sudden. Yeah. And another really good tip. Um, this is also a time of year when a lot of people are getting uh, maybe increase in pay or right? bonuses. Or bonuses. Yeah. Um, so if you're getting a bonus, go ahead and just shove that some of that money in your 401k. You won't miss it because it's a bonus, right? And if you are getting an annual raise, I know one of the ways when I was trying to get my percentage to where I wanted to be early on, if I got a raise for the year and let's say it was a 2% raise, well, there we go. I just increased my contributions by 2%. Right. And I don't even notice a difference. So I think for most people, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I could take my bonus or any additional money I got at the end of the year and put that into my 401k. Is that common for everybody or can only some people do that if the company allows it so i i guess the company probably does have to allow it but the way that it's worked at most companies i've been at is that when you log into your 401k there is a button that you can click that says contributions and then it'll allow you to set up you know how much of your paycheck you're contributing every month Mm -hmm. and then under it it'll say like bonus election okay and so for 
most companies I've been at, and I've been at three different uh, corporate jobs, you can set either between 25 to 50% of your bonus can go directly into your 401k. And I always just early on in my career set that to whatever the maximum is for the company that I'm at, because I've always viewed, I've never ever counted bonuses in like my annual budgeting. And so that's just been a great way for me to get more money in my 401k every year that I, I don't even plan for. And then whatever I do get into my bank account is just like a nice little extra. Right. Oh, so the other good thing to point out is for the company match to take place, right, you need to actually, you know, match it first. Right, <laughs> right? yeah. So if they're going to offer like 6%, then you need to put like 6% toward it, not just that 1%, right? So then right. they can like, basically it will double up the money that's contributed. So if you do 6%, they'll bring it up to like 12% right. total. And I know like going to, you know, 6% at first can be really scary from zero. But you know, I promise you, if you just do 1% at a time, I bet even by next month, you can add that next 1% on. And you don't even have to wait a whole year, right? You can like, get a couple paychecks in, see how it's going, add another percent, you know. Right. I always view it as like tightening braces, do it until it hurts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of times you can kind of get up there pretty quick. And like Brett said, getting that match is everything because going from, you know, 6% to 12%, you're doubling it. And, you know, I've, I actually used to work in the pension space. And so um, obviously with that, a lot of companies have shifted to a 401k model and figuring out what match they're going to do. And so I've done a lot of research into this and hitting that 12 to 15% number is the number that like you really should be at to, you know, retire within like 30 years or so. Right. And it's free money, right? That's the bigger argument is that it's part of the net benefits package that your company offers of like, here's all these incentives to come work for us, right? And if you're not taking advantage of it, then they just like basically are artificially paying you less than they would have otherwise, because they're they're looking at this as saying like, this is part of your net benefits package as an employee, and we've allocated like this money to you. And if you're just not taking it, then we're just going to keep it, right? Right. So, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I strongly recommend getting that. And now you might say, hey, but I thought this is a podcast about investing and you're just rambling on about 401ks, which are like this weird retirement vehicle that I don't even know what that is. Right. Especially uh, if you're not in the US, right? <laughs> right. Um, but so, yeah, this is definitely targeted a lot towards our US audience. Uh, sorry about that. A lot of you Europeans listening have pensions. So just go enjoy that. Um, (laughs) But so for us, we have 401ks, you put money in every paycheck, and then you can get a company match. And I talked about that contribution button that you're going to click, right to like set up how much that is. Unfortunately, it's not it doesn't just go in and magically get invested and makes you all this money, you also have to go to the um, tab where you can rebalance or allocate where your money is going to go and choose your funds. And those funds are called mutual funds, and that is investing. Right. Ah. So, you're, right, step one, get the money into the account out of your paycheck right. automatically. Step two, take that money that goes in there every month and set it how you want it to be distributed into whatever those funds are, right? Right. Whatever, whether it's percentages or, like, all in one thing or whatever, right? And then, again, once you set it up, like, one time, it's basically set it and forget it until later yeah. if you want to rebalance it, and like, so a year later. A lot of 401k plans will have target date funds. So what that means is, you know, I'm 30. Let's say I want to retire when I'm 60. Got 30 more years here, so I'm going to pick a 2050 fund. 
And that fund manager is going to rebalance that as we go to shift from more aggressive now, which is more heavily invested in stocks and less heavily in bonds. So maybe 90% stocks and 10% bonds to over time, as I get closer and closer to age 60, being in a more conservative balance. So maybe that's 60% stocks and 40% bonds. Um, It'll do that automatically. Now you might say, hey, that sounds too good to be true. Why doesn't everybody do that? Well, there's typically that's an actively managed fund. So there's going to be a higher fee associated with that. Okay. And I don't want fees, right? (laughs) Right. So Brett is like anti-fee, right? So what do we do for Brett? Um, There's these things called index funds, which Warren Buffett is a huge fan of. Most 401k plans now will have some of those sprinkled in there as well, right? So there's actively managed funds and passively managed funds. So a passively managed fund just says, hey, we're just going to follow whatever the S&P 500 is doing. We're going to pick whatever companies are in it. So, hey, Tesla just got added. Now we got to add that to our portfolio. And whatever that is managed, we're going to follow along, which means it's a lot cheaper for us to do that because there's no thinking about this. There's nobody behind the scenes, no fund managers trying to figure out, you know, no Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway trying to figure out how to beat the competitors. It's just set it and forget it. So those fees will be a lot lower. And then you can set your own portfolio up. So you can say, you know, I want to be maybe, and this is not financial advice, but perhaps 70% U.S. stocks. I want 20% international exposure to stocks. And then I want 10% in bond funds, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can set that yourself. That would be super aggressive. Though, right? That would be a very aggressive <laughs> one. Um, you know, I'm just recently out of my 20s. And for most of my 20s, I was in a very aggressive portfolio. Uh, I still kind of like being aggressive when I invest. That's that's for me. That I'm fine with that. We have a long road to recoup money in the worst case scenarios, right? So it's not as risky for us at our age. Exactly. So what do I recommend for the you know average investor just starting out on their 401k? I really recommend that you know, even though Brett doesn't like paying a lot of funds, when you're just starting fees. out, or fees, yeah, <laughs> a lot of funds, uh, when you're just starting out, doing that target date and getting yourself comfortable dipping your toe in the water is perfectly acceptable. It is still far better than not investing. Right. So just picking the 2050 fund that you were talking about. Right. right? So you're targeting your retirement date for 2050, basically. That's what that equates to. Yep. And so for me, you know, if I'm 30 and I'm going to retire and I'm 60, I pick the 2050. If if I'm older, if I'm, you know, let's say 50 and I want to retire in 10 years, then I would go with the 2030 fund. And most most of the target date funds are every five years. So you're you know, your company will have a wide variety of those. Um, And then as you get comfortable with it, and as you start, you know, investing in that and maybe opening and seeing, oh, what funds are even in this thing that I'm investing in? Or what is my allocation in this fund? And seeing what your stock bond allocation is, maybe over time, you get comfortable and you rebalance your portfolio yourself, but you don't have to. Right. I mean, I left mine in there for like five years before I even let you look at mine. And I was like, I don't know what I picked, right? I just went right. through, like, click some buttons in, like, a tutorial, basically, when I set it up and when I started with the company. And I was just, all I knew going into it was that I should put, like, at least 12% away out of my paycheck. And that was what my rule of thumb was, arbitrarily. Right. But, yeah, you could have <laughs> picked a worse Yeah, could it could have been worse. Them. And I have no idea what it was allocated into. I think I just looked at a couple, like, graphs and they... One was higher than the rest, so I picked that one. Uh, Don't yeah, have any yours idea was kind it, of a mess. No idea if it had fees or anything, but it was still invested, and it still made me a bunch of money every exactly. year. Better than not having it at all. hundred percent, right? yeah. So, Getting the money in there is better than not having right. it in there. Yeah. So step one, worst thing you can do is just you know 
make less optimally still a bunch of money right and then next step is you can pay a little bit more attention to it and like figure out look at some of the charts and uh and then you know you are you're calling rebalancing right which is like picking which things you want to be a part of and what percentages those are that's like another like maybe hour-long activity if you like really want to go into the weeds on it yourself and aren't familiar with it at all and you can probably get yourself into a much better place than what you would have done just by like Closing your eyes and clicking the button. Sure. But, I mean, (laughs) closing your eyes and clicking the button, you know, quite honestly, 401ks are a great place to start investing because your company has already narrowed it down to, like, you only have, like, 20 funds that you can pick from. Right. You have, like, the target eight funds, and then you have some, like, you know, short-term, medium-sized, mid-cap, you know, small-cap, mid-cap, large-cap companies, which are just sizing (laughs) of funds. And then you have some international, and you have some bonds. And, like, that's it. That's all you got. Right. So it, it you can't really screw up because by the time a fund has made it into your 401k, your company has already vetted it to make sure that it's like a good fund. Right. It's like very not risky, right? Right. Well, uh, well it could sorry. be risky, but it's it's not like a junk Right. It well, performs well over time, right? It has a track record associated with it. Right. Because right. so, they, they don't want to set you up for failure either because that just look right? that's a waste of their extra percentage match. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, that's pre-screened. It's a pretty easy way to dip your toe into the water of investing. Um, And one thing I I also wanted to mention before we move off of 401ks, because I know this has been a lot of information about 401ks so far, um, the maximum that you can contribute to a 401k in 2021 will be $19,500. It's a good chunk of money. (laughs) Huge (laughs) chunk of money. So, um, you know, if you're somebody who's been ratcheting that percentage up every year and you're, you know, at a very high percentage and you put a bunch of your bonus in, uh, just keep in mind that there is a cap that you will hit someday. So good to know, right? Right. And, you know, the benefit of this fund, right, what a 401k really is, is just kind of like a tax sheltered fund of money that is specifically allocated for your retirement usage. Yes. Past a certain age limit right and you know it's no secret that i've spent a lot of time on the mustachian forums and so there's a lot of people who might say hey but i want to retire before 59 and a half when i can draw this money out tax-free and uh i won't talk about it on this episode in too much detail because i don't think it's right for the average bear but feel free to look up a roth conversion ladder and if you want me to talk about that more in the future i would be happy to right Uh, and what that does is it allows you to get the money out before that age you know, threshold, you know, cap. Without triggering a penalty. Right, without penalties. Yeah. So, okay, so we beat the death out of investing in your 401k. And if you are are a new investor, that is the place to start. Because if you're not starting to save for your retirement, you should be. And you can invest in these vehicles and you can grow your money. And then by the time you retire, you will have a nice fat pile of cash, which is fantastic, right? So what what if my company doesn't offer, or wherever I work, doesn't offer a 401k? Because it is you, you have to have your company sponsor a 401k in order to be able to access one. I can't do that personally, right? Correct. So then you would move into the land of having an IRA. And there are two different kind of, there's like the main IRA available to your everyday person um, who maybe has a job somewhere else that doesn't work for themselves. And to this fund, it's very, very similar to a 401k where there's a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. The traditional is pre-tax dollars. The Roth is post-tax dollars. They both grow tax-free. And then in the future, you will not have to pay any more taxes if you have a Roth IRA and you will have to pay taxes when you take the money out on a traditional 
IRA. That's the simplification answer of that, right? But uh, yes. an IRA stands for individual retirement account. Yes. Right? Look at all these things I know. Right? You're just so knowledgeable, Brett. <laughs> right. um, and so, yes, these are very similar vehicles to a 401k. And in fact, if you leave your company, a lot of times you roll your money over into an IRA. Right. That's how similar Cause, cause, they are. Right, what we talked about allocating the funds, right? The step two of the process, right? Where you're like picking where the money goes to grow. Like that is all kind of the same. No matter what vehicle you go, whether it's a 401k or an IRA or just like a regular mutual fund that you're buying through like Vanguard or Fidelity or any of the investment firms, right? Or whatever, or even like other investment tracks, like digital currencies and stuff, right? You can still, all those funds are like kind of the same choices, right? In the background. You just, it's just how you get to those. Yes. So I will say another big difference is with an IRA, depending where you open your IRA, you can open it at your local credit union. You can open it through Vanguard. You can open it through Fidelity. You can open it through a financial planner. There's a lot of different venues to get one. Um, The fund selection will just be far greater so with your 401k, if you work for a company, they've narrowed it down to like those 20 funds that you can pick. But if you go to like Vanguard.com and you open an IRA, you can have any of their like funds, which is hundreds. Right. I mean, that they've, so that many they've funds. curated, right? You won't, yeah. you won't find the Fidelity funds in the Vanguard website. Right, right. right. And like, and yeah, right. So everybody, all, you know, all the big firms and companies just like have curated their own list of like. Uh, you know, mutual funds and fund packages and, you know, how they're buying and selling stocks in the back end that comprise all of those mutual funds. And But there are, most of them are like, they're all pretty similar, yeah. right? And You'll find similar offerings. So there's, you know, a lot out there, but I would recommend if you're getting into the land of an IRA and you want to invest your money, um, again, you can look for target date funds, all of the main Places, Fidelity Vanguard will have target date funds that you can buy as an individual if, if that if you just want to do something easy. Um, another thing you can do is just choose a stock and bond allocation that you're comfortable with. So, you know, if you're mid-range life here, like I am, you know, 30s to 40s, probably that 80-20 split. And then as you get older, you know, in more in that 60 age bracket, you're going to be 60-40 allocation split. Um, And then even younger, you might be 90-10. And again, some of it will depend on your personal portfolio or risk tolerance. Uh, Those are just some general guidelines. But let's say you want to do an 80-20, then um, and you don't want to do a target date fund, and you want to target you know, date fund being that 2050, right? Like because that's that's one of the managed funds, and the benefit of that managed fund is as you get closer to the 50, 20 until you get to the year 2050, that they start backing that off on their own. Sure, right? yeah. Otherwise, so if you, you want to do that yourself, if you want to do it yourself, or if you want to invest, you know, let's say you just want to park the money for like 10 years um, and access the money to buy, you know have a down payment in 10 years or something like that, you might want to manage it yourself. You might want to be a little less aggressive with it. Um, But you can, you can do that. And I would recommend a very easy way to dip your toe in the water is to just find a low cost index fund. So base it off the S&P index. Every company has one of those now. I mean, index funds are huge. And then, um, you know, supplement it with a, a, bond fund, which they all also offer plenty of bond funds. And I typically just recommend, um, you know, finding a very stable bond fund, because obviously that's your safe money. So you don't, you don't want the, you know, B rated bonds. So companies all get ratings, right? It's like triple A, double A, A, and then you move down the line. And if you're going for that safe money, you want to see, and you can, you know, on any of these, you can pull up the prospectus, you can see what kind of funds they have. I was going to ask, like, how do, how do I determine, like, what a good bond fund is? Yeah, right? so um, you can click on the fund summary, and it'll say, you know, like, 
50% government bonds, 40% AAA corporate bonds, and, you know, 10% AA or whatever. And so government bonds are typically always thought of as very, very safe bonds, right? right? Because mm-hmm. the government, um, while we may complain about them a lot, and Brett certainly in the last few episodes is <laughs> like, the government sings, um, they typically have been making good on their promises to pay their debt, even if our debt is enormous. You know, they just keep printing money. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all imaginary at this point. <laughs> it all works out. Um, and then, you know, companies that are rated that highly mean that they have good financial backings as well. So their bonds are pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's an easy way to do it. If you're a little nervous about that, um, but you want a more personalized advice, I also recommend finding a financial planner that you could reach out to who will help you set a fund allocation. Right. And the, the funny thing about that, too, is like sometimes there's a lot of companies that only work through financial planners, right? So I can't just like go to their website and like set up my own funds, right? I would have to go through a particular individual to access some of those particular right. funds. And that's just kind of more how the industry used to run. Right. Right. It's only become in the last like decade or so that people are able to like go onto a website and like kind of do their own thing. Right. Yeah. Well, and honestly, (laughs) if you're going onto a website and you're doing your own thing and you're still paying for like an actively managed fund fee, then I would probably recommend that you find a financial advisor anyways, who doesn't make you pay you know, per out by the hour or something, there are financial planners out there who will just get paid off of the commission that like, you know, Fidelity is collecting for that fund. Mm-hmm. And then you get the advice. And I'm not saying it's free, but like you're already paying for that anyways, if you're in those funds with those higher fees. Right. Yeah. So what, you what might you, as well what use you, one of their consultants. Right. Whether you pay for the fee for them on the website and you're not getting a personalized touch or you are working with somebody that is giving you a direct personalized touch. Right. You're paying the same amount of money that, you know, that firm is just taking a bigger rake because they didn't have to pay an investor to help support you. Right. But like they would otherwise. So, you know, and then I get the question a lot, how do I find, you know, the right financial planner? Um, Obviously, there's not a one size fits all approach, but word of mouth is some of the best way to find financial advisors. Um, Ask people who you know who might have one and see what their opinion is. That's a great way to, you know, spread the word. Google can be your friend too, right? Mm -hmm. As we say for anything. Um, And I know like a lot of banks and stuff will have like advisors now. It could be hit or miss, you know. You mean like somebody working on staff at the bank to be a personal exactly? And I mean, obviously, they're going to be they're going to be more only offering the products that that bank has versus if you find an independent financial planner, they can sit down with you and look at a wide range of companies and funds and and really do a more personalized suggestion for you. So I personally would recommend working with like an independent financial planner that you either find, you know, through word of mouth or, you know, we we use the app Nextdoor a lot or Facebook and you can ask people for recommendations in your community and that can be a really good way to find them. And if all else fails, you know, turn to Google and just Google like financial planners in the area and, you know, reach out to a couple and be transparent about like, I'm trying to make sure I find the right fit and interview them, right? You're hiring them. So you might as well interview them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Know what their fee structure is, know, you know, who they are and what they do. And so, um, you know, that is, that is one way to take. And I think for an early investor and a new investor who's new to all of this, um, that can be a really good thing because they will sit down, they will give you a customized plan, and they will make sure that you don't just like panic back in March and like take all your money out uh, when the market drops. <laughs> right, right, because the, yeah, that is another intrinsic benefit of using a financial planner is for almost all of the transactions that you would have to do, you have to go through that third party who is like a double check for right. like, you know, 
uh, you know, I don't know that it is a good idea to take this out. Should we like wait like five minutes and like think about this? So uh, for people that are like a little bit more gun shy or are paying attention more to the market, be like, oh man, it's been going down for three days yeah. straight. I need to pull all my money out of the market. Like, just don't do that. Well, because that is, can I just say, please don't do that. in March, I was getting texts from friends and and listeners who were like, hey, uh, this feels different than other drops. Like, should we take our money out? I think it's going to get way worse, you know, way, way, way worse. And um, can we just say that we finished 2020 and uh, I told you so. Right. Like, this was like one of like the most gangbuster like financial years we've had in a long time. Right. So, you know, keep it in, keep your money invested. But, um, you know, definitely if you're new to all of this and you're nervous, having an advisor is a double check, as Brett said. So you can go that way or you can go the other approach I outlined where you do a low cost index fund and a bond fund and figure out what your allocation is. That approach definitely requires a lot more of your own, you know, education and getting comfortable with things and researching things. And um, I've mentioned this before, but writing an investment policy statement. So it can be a one line, it can be literally one sentence of like my investment policy statement is I invest in low cost index funds and bond funds at an allocation of 80% and 20% and I will rebalance once a year. Right. Um, It's your plan. The reason I tell you to do that is I, right, if you're like, yes, I want, you know, 80% stocks, 20% bonds, it doesn't mean every time you log in to deposit more money into that account, you're like, I got to rebalance, right? You, you got to give yourself like, either quarterly, or every six months or once a year is when you rebalance those funds. Right. And, and you mean, when you're like, looking at the total sum of money allocated across those funds, you want to like, put it more back to like the 80 20 distribution because over because time, they grow at different rates right over time the right. stocks will outperform the bonds so all of a sudden you creep up and you look and you're like oh i'm 90 percent stocks and 10 percent bonds and that was not my intention right so you reallocate it back right while the bonds are you know very unlikely to like drop dramatically or at any rate the stocks are more likely to double your money every 10 years right right so the, the bonds aren't going to do that so yeah you put in ten thousand dollars at 80 20 you have so you have eight thousand in the stock you know stock mutual fund category two thousand in the bond fund in 10 years from then you'll have sixteen thousand in the stock fund and you'll have I don't know what ten thousand in the bond fund. I don't know what the bond fund grows at, but <laughs> it's uh, definitely not doubling your money right. over ten years on the bond side. Sure. Right, so that's what we mean. So it's going to get like way out of whack, and you don't want to have it to be like you know ninety percent of your you know or like you know almost ninety five percent I guess is is in the stocks. You want to reallocate that, and then so you pull the money out of the stocks and put it into the safe area on the bond side, and that's just a transfer. There's no fees or anything for that. It's just moving the money around. And if you are getting charged fees for moving your money around, get the heck out of that system. Well, well, and so um, it's not, there's no fees or penalty if you do that in an IRA or 401k, which are tax sheltered growing saving vehicles. If you have a tax, now let's move on to the next category, right? So we have our 401k that we can put up to 19500 in. We have our IRA that we can contribute 6000 in. And if you're over the age of 50, you can also put extra money in both of these a year. Um, you know, to, they're called catch-up contributions. And then um, if you, if you have your own company you can also do a SEP IRA which is you know like the independent IRA SEP SEP and that is 25% of your income can get put in there up to $58,000 so that's a great way if you don't work for a company and you have your own business to you know toss some money in Um, and I don't know what that one stands for off the top of my head (laughs) uh, to to kind of keep moving here though so then Um, The question we get asked about a lot is not how do I save for retirement, but how do I invest? So now we're moving into the realm of taxable accounts. Same 
basics, right? We still have our mutual funds that we can invest in. We still have our stocks and bonds that we can invest in. The difference here is we don't have these tax benefits anymore. So in a 401k, I can log on once a year and rebalance my money and there is no penalty, nothing. But in the taxable account, I have to pay capital gains tax on any of that growth on my stock fund, which only gets triggered when I sell it. If you do something to it. Which involves you know, you have to sell it to buy the new bond funds. Right. So you sell, yeah, you end up selling the stock funds and then it goes into like the ether somewhere, right? And then it buys the bond funds. Right. Is that one transaction or is that two? You can do it as one transaction, but technically it is two. Right. And that distinguishes... So they, they make it easy, but yeah, on the back end, it's doing, you know, it's causing those triggers to, to go right. off. And yeah. so why do I bring that up? Because if you are in a taxable account... And, you know, Brett and I have a taxable account and we have an allocation that we prefer. And if I log in and I'm like, hey, our allocation's kind of getting out of whack. Instead of selling the stock fund, which I only do if I want to engage some tax loss harvesting, which again is another concept that I will talk about on a more advanced episode if you guys are interested, because the average person does not need to worry too much about that. <laughs> um but I will log in and I'll be like, hey, you know, we're, you know, 95% stocks, 5% bonds. We want to be 10% bonds. So instead of selling my stocks and, and triggering that sale and having to pay taxes on it, I will just start buying more bonds. So bi-weekly, when I'm adding money to our funds, I only buy the bond funds until I get back to that allocation I want. Right. And then we go back to buying regular stock stocks again. Right. But when you do it, you don't try and do you like your you don't try and put in the 80 20 when you buy like a new like every month or quarter whenever you buy more allocation right do you buy 20 you know the 10 percent bonds and 90 percent stocks when you do it yes okay so you're not just always buying the stocks and then rebalancing no so normally i buy you know whatever our allocation is i'll do 90 10 but then over time as we've had this in the stocks obviously they outperform the bonds so eventually i log in and i'm like hey you know we are too heavy in stocks so then i'll be like okay it's going to take us two months of contributions to get back to what i want so for two months months, I only contribute to bonds. And then starting that third month again, I go back to business as usual, 90-10. Right. Well, I'm glad you do this because I'm like way too much of a perfectionist to like not have it be the exact dollar amount that's like whatever the percentage is that we want it to be. Sure. But you don't want to trigger all of the sales. <laughs> no, I wouldn't sell it. But like every time, every month that I buy it, I'm like, okay, no, I have to get it exactly back to, you know, 80-20 or 90-10 Yeah. Well, or I, you don't sweat the small stuff in the world of investing. <laughs> um, so that... That covers the basics. I so, know this was a lot of information. So when do you want to sell those stocks? Right. If I won't, if I don't want to do it tomorrow or the next time I rebalance it, when is the right time for me to sell? When you that? when you're pulling out distributions. When my tax bracket is like lower, though, right? If it works, <laughs> if it ever, right? So sure. ideally, after you've like retired and you don't have income anymore. That's a better time to like take capital. If gains. that's your retirement money, but some people might be using this to save up for their next vehicle, for example. Right, and then or a in down that case, payment. right, in and that then case, you don't just worry about it. Need right. to pull the money out because yeah. it is still far better for you to pay the taxes on the gains that you made in the stock market than have put this money in the, a bank account where you haven't been getting any gains on it in the last five years. Because then, like, yeah, you don't have to pay any taxes because your money has made no money. Right, like yeah. I would rather my money made some money and okay, sure, I need to pay taxes on that because. It's income. Right. There is almost no reason right now to like have your money, a a large chunk of your money just like held up in like a savings account or a checking account. And I do think that's a really important thing to highlight though. So if you put $10,000 in a taxable mutual fund, 
you're never charged inter- you're never charged taxes on that $10,000 when you put it in or when you take it out. If your money doesn't oh, right. get grow, the base. you never the, the, pay additional taxes on the base because we do not have a wealth tax here in America. Right. So I can put 10000 in. I can, you know, same day. I'm like, oh, I didn't make any money on it. The stock market ended at the exact same number right. that it started at. I take that 10000 out. Right. There was no gains. You right. only pay taxes on the gains. Right. So if yeah. that $10,000 turns into $20,000, you don't pay taxes on $20,000 when you pull it out. You only pay taxes on the additional $10,000 of income. Right. So if you're paying 20%. So you still make a bunch of money. Right. So right? if you're, and if you're paying 20% of taxes, you just need to earmark. Let's say you put $10,000 in, it turns into $20,000. You pull all $20,000 out to buy a car. You pay $2,000 of taxes. Right. So that is important if you're pulling this money out for something to keep in mind to earmark some of that money to pay your taxes at the later date or, you know, come April 15th when you have to true up with the IRS, you're going to be like, oh, shoot, what happened? <laughs> um, right. So one other they, thing. They pay attention to that kind of stuff. One other thing I wanted to qu- cover really quick here is when you invest in a 401k at work, the day that you start your job, you can start putting your paycheck in those funds. There are no fund minimums with an IRA or a taxable account, when you buy a mutual fund, typically the fund will have some type of minimum that you have to clear before you can start making contributions. So let's say you pick a fund and you're like, this is a great fund. It might have a fund minimum of $3,000. So what that means is if you want to start saving $300 a month, it's going to take you 10 months of saving that in your savings account before you can go ahead and buy that mutual fund. Right. And then after that, you can do the $300 a month directly into the mutual fund. Or you could do $50, you know, like there are no, um, typically there are no like other minimums that you, there's no like transactional minimum of you have to do $100 every time you invest, right? Right. And that's the benefit of mutual funds. You're not buying actual stocks, so you can invest a flat dollar amount. And that is different from, you know, if you, so then I get a lot of questions about, okay, Angela, you're talking about mutual funds, but I want to invest in stocks. Now, my advice to the average person is don't. Um, (laughs) And that's never, it's literally never what anybody ever wants to hear because I've given speeches about this. I've gone into companies and talked to people about investing and they're like, oh yeah, you know, 90% of people or 99% of people should be investing in mutual funds, but I must be the 1% of people who would be better off in stocks. And I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, Is your name Warren Buffett? No. Right. The people, (laughs) the people that like, you know, crush it in stocks are also the people that like lose like crazy in stocks most of the time, right? Because right. they're, they're like doing enough spread that it like offsets. But right. there's a lot of people that, you know, you know, who doesn't brag about, uh, you know, how well they do in stocks, the people that just like only lose at stocks, right. you don't hear a lot from those people, but there's a lot of those people. Right. right. And you know, it's, I just know so many people who are like, oh, I would buy this stock. And then almost 100% of time it's like by the time you're hearing about it in the mainstream news then it's not a good idea to buy that anymore so the people who are doing well are the people who are like knee deep in research and they understand PE ratios and they understand how to read balance sheets and they're like going real real deep into financial statements of companies if that doesn't sound like you or something you're interested in you don't buy stocks. Right. Because um, you can see, like, right this year, like, Tesla went up from, like, $75 to, like, $700 now or something. And, like, oh, man, yeah, they're just they're just going crazy. I better get on that train, right? But, like, 
you don't know what's going to happen. Like, they could go, like, totally back down to, like, 100 next month. Right. Right? Like, it's totally a gamble. Right. Right? There's, there's, no, there's no such thing as a sure thing when, especially when you've been paying attention or to like, it on the news. Or, like, knowing like the last Elon Musk, party. he'll just be like, actually, I've decided to move to Mars, and I no longer operate Tesla, <laughs> yeah. and the company has just imploded. <laughs> right? So, like... It's just not a good idea, especially if you're new to investing, to start with stocks. If you've been in the game for a while and you're like, I just want to buy some stocks because I like really, it's fun for me or I believe in the future of these companies. And it's not, it's anything you do in the stock market with buying individual stocks should be money that you don't care if it disappears. Right. It It is not an investment strategy. Right. It is more of a gamble or it is you putting your money where you believe it to be, right? If you believe in Tesla as a company and you think they're like doing what needs to be done for society, then like that's you just voting with your dollar to help their company. And years ago, I wanted to start dipping my toe in individual stocks. And um, for like one of my birthdays, Brett was like, take $100 and you can just like play around in Robin Hood. And like, because that was literally my birthday present was like getting to buy and sell stocks because I am a freak who finds it fun to read balance sheets of companies and analyze PE ratios. So if you are like me, you know, take a (laughs) hundred dollars and have some fun with it. But like, honestly, what I do with the rest, like with my actual investments is exactly what I'm telling you with mutual funds and stock and bond fund allocations and rebalancing only once a, a year or so. That is like where I actually put my money. Right. That is a re- stock allocation is not a retirement strategy. Right. Right. It's Invent, an enjoyment. 401ks, IRAs, and taxable even, even taxable mutual funds accounts or whatever. Those are your retirement strategy. And Do that first. Do that like so you are safe. And then anything that you have for discretionary income after that you can light on fire or invest in stocks or gamble at the casino or whatever you want to do. Or buy a Starbucks every week. Or buy a boat. Yeah, whatever you want to do. That's all discretionary. So when people ask me how should I invest, it is quite simply start with your 401k if that's an option. If it's not an option, start with a Roth IRA. If that is not an option, you know, put some money in there. And then if you want, you know, money outside of that, go ahead and do a taxable account. The beauty of a Roth IRA is when you need the money, if you put in money and then you're like, I got to take $20,000 out to get a car. And let's say you've been saving in this for 10 years. So you have, you've contributed $20,000. Maybe it's all the way up to $40,000 now, but your $20,000 still comes out tax-free because it was a contribution. Right. You get the exact amount that you're pulling. Right. right. That you want to. Um, and so then the last thing I wanted to mention real quick is 529 plans, uh, because that's a way that a lot of people invest for their kids' college fund. Mm-hmm. Um the hard thing about this is every state has their own rules. So people might ask, Angela, what would you do for college savings? Again, if you are funding your 401k and you are not funding an IRA yet, a Roth IRA can be a great way to save for your kid's college because, again, any contribution that you put in can come out tax-free. Right. But you have the benefit of if you if your kid gets a bunch of scholarships and they don't need this money, it's not quite like a 529 where, well, now that money is useless and you're going to have to like pay a small penalty, you know, when you use it for a non-education related item. Right. Yeah. Because there's a lot of strings attached to the 529s, right? Like, um, it doesn't have to be used for college. It can be used for any type of like higher learning, right. like trade schools or whatever, right? There's a lot of like flexibility with it, but it is like for future growth potential. It's not for like, 
I'm going to start my own company, right? Right. And, you know, different states have different plans, which can limit your investment opportunities because they all offer different funds. Right. And some states do a great job. Some states do a great job. But there are definitely some states that, like, don't really do a great job. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, I just know this from actually one of my friends recently who lives in Indiana asked me about this. Indiana actually has a tax credit. So 20% of anything you put in, you get a credit back for on your taxes, which is just like you get that full credit back. So like a thousand bucks, right? You just get the thousand dollars. In Michigan, we do it as a deduction. So I just get to reduce my income by a thousand dollars. But then like, you know, I only actually save, you know, my tax rate is 20% or whatever. So I actually only save like $200. Right. So So the credit is always way better than like the deduction. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, that's another vehicle as well. So obviously there's a lot of different ways to save money. You know, I recommend for somebody who wants to just start investing and feeling like they have the most control over it, either go with a taxable account. Um, after you save in a 401k, please, please, please get that employee match if you are not currently getting it because otherwise you are throwing away free 6% um, or, or 3% or whatever your company offers. So after that, if you still have extra money to save every month, I either recommend doing a Roth IRA or I recommend opening a taxable account and just dipping your toe in the water. And so keep in mind that with those, you might have to save up for that minimum amount first, but then once you get there, you can you know keep adding to it every month. And I know for me, I opened my first mutual fund when I was 19 years old, because again, super freak, um, but it was a really good way for me to just really understand the value of compound interest. And like watching that account grow was one of the coolest experiences for me right because it goes so fast way faster than you think it's going to all of a sudden it starts like raining money after like a couple years it's really sweet (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you put those green worker dollars in there every paycheck and then all of a sudden they start working harder than you and that is like the coolest feeling in the whole world right where yeah the the best snowball effect ever (laughs) yeah So we made it through another investing episode. Thank you for tuning in. I know some of this is probably redundant to longtime listeners, um, but hopefully it's a good refresher course. It's a good time of year to remind you to go ahead and rebalance your portfolios if you do that on an annual basis. And if you do have any specific questions or if there's anything that we glazed over and you want more information, I'm happy to produce more of these episodes because I know people always, you know, really like getting this information and I'm happy to talk about it if, as long as I know what you are interested in hearing more about. Sounds great. Thank you, Values. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the bank.